Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Wednesday AgriHub podcast. I'm Toby Reich, Head of Seeds at Wednesday. In this episode, we'll be focusing on fertiliser, looking into the areas that producers need to consider ahead of purchasing and applications because it's important to have the full picture. As a starting point, it's about setting expectations for the crop and what's realistic for your business and then making decisions to optimise crop performance in line with this. Today, we're joined by my colleagues, Dave Mitchell, Fertiliser Manager, and Ellie Edwards, one of our agronomists in the Midlands. Together, they'll give us their top tips and advice on getting the most out of your fertiliser applications. Dave, Ellie, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Morning. <laughs> you, Ellie, you, you are, a, well, I say an old hand at this, you were here last time, but would you just quickly reintroduce yourself, please? Yep, so I'm uh, Ellie Edwards, one of Wednesday's agronomists, covering kind of Derbyshire, Staffordshire, South Cheshire and Shropshire. And Dave, I introduced you as the fertiliser manager. Do you want to give me a, just a bit more around that? Yeah, I'm the fertiliser manager for the Winstay Agricultural Supplies business and have been so for 11 years now. Brilliant. So this is really your show today, Dave. Do you want to help us understand where we are by setting the scene with fertiliser? Yeah, absolutely. Over the last 20 months, we've seen high energy prices compounded by the war in Ukraine. Uh, this has had a direct effect on the cost of a wide range of products and nitrogen production being a very gas intensive process has been one of the hardest hit. But this has required farmers to really focus on what nutrients are needed to meet the crop requirements. Yeah. So, OK, with that in mind, then, Dave and Ellie, what should producers do? Like, let's start right at the beginning. What should producers do before applying fertiliser then? I think key is understanding the crop requirement and what the goal is on the farm. What is realistic? What is a farmer trying to achieve from yield and quality? And what the budget allows within the farm? Ellie, would you like to comment uh, on that? Definitely, I agree. I think looking at kind of previous uh, years averages as well, looking at how much yield and the quality that they get from the past five years to then go forward and say, well, realistically, we produce a nine, 10, 10 a hectare wheat crop for milling spec. And that's where we want to aim this year, rather than either end of that scale of the either eight ton or 12 ton a hectare crops, where you're applying obviously a lot more or a lot less fertiliser in line with where you can realistically get to. The five year averages and kind of what market it's going into, whether that's milling wheat or malting barley, each crop has a different requirement. So looking at the whole picture and from previous years as well to kind of tailor your fertiliser around that really. I think efficiency of the products you use as well are absolutely key, aren't they? So, say, understanding that crop requirement, but making sure what is applied is available. And I think we would always recommend looking at the pH of the soil as part of a, the annual process and making yeah. sure we keep that pH balanced to make sure everything is available. And I think that goes right down kind of back to basics, really, of doing soil sampling every year to yeah. make sure that your pH is is correct and looking at where your kind of pk magnesium indices are and then tailoring your fertilizer requirements around that with either the use of organic manures or on purely arable farms where they're using just inorganic fertilizer tailoring the product to fit around that really i read a report a little soundbite actually and this was to do with oil seed but i know you've, you've touched on wheat we're talking about maize grasslands all the other crops in between but there was a report saying i think it was four out of five oil seed crops aren't actually achieving their full yield potential because we're just not either understanding what's happening in the soil or then doing something about it what have you experienced with that 
I think I completely agree, to be honest. There's so many factors that kind of play a part in soil biology and nutrient uptake that most farms only scratch the surface, if at all, really. And to understand kind of below the ground in more depth is to kind of do the more like complete full soil samples, really, um, looking at your soil microbiology and your soil health as a whole, rather than just your pH, pK, mag, because there's so many other factors yeah. that affect those three. With just obviously standard soil samples are great to get kind of a quick look at your soil and kind of do a quick fix on anything that's immediately a problem. But doing kind of the more in-depth detailed soil analysis to get your soil health scores is where really we should be at to kind of unlock our true potential yield-wise. Absolutely. And I think we're we're only as strong as the weakest link, aren't we? So it's understanding what is holding that crop back. Yeah. And I think you're right. If if we don't get the full picture of the soil health and all the other conditions on farm, you know, that play into it, whether they're on particularly high land, low land, if very intensive, extensive. And I say it's understanding the whole picture of a farm. The soil is a massive part of that. And then setting the expectations realistically. Modern varieties, whether they be on arable crops or grass, maize, the potentials, as you've touched on, Toby, are very rarely fully tapped into. And there's usually a restricting factor somewhere. And it's understanding what that restricting factor is and working with it. Well, it kind of leads me nicely on to then what's the next step once they have that better understanding of the soil and the land that they're working with? I think a nutrient management plan around the crop requirements itself is absolutely key. Ellie, I know this is something you've done quite a few of. Yeah, so I think a nutrient management plan is a great way of kind of bringing everything together and kind of tailoring your fertiliser choice and usage to what you need and require for both obviously the soil that you're on and any kind of organic manures that you're applying as well as well as your crop requirements and it gives you that complete picture of a structure structured plan that's tailored specifically for you and your farm that you're kind of reducing any potential factors that could be restricting your yield and quality by kind of gaining a better understanding and a kind of more rounded approach to to fertilizer use really and I think that comes back to the original point of costings. And as as we've seen these costings increase massively, fortunately, we're seeing them ease back now. But if we look historically, they are still very high. They're not as high as they were, but historically, they are still in a very high place to what it was several years ago. That really focuses the mind on the efficiencies. And this is why it's so important to understand, say, everything a crop requires, but the potential available on the farm. I've heard the blanket comment that it's worth continuing to invest in the inputs into the crops to gain the maximum output. From what the two of you said, there isn't one size that fits all. But do you, uh, sorry, it's a bit of a closed question, but do you two agree with the, the principle that these crops need to have this investment in the micro and macronutrients to be able to achieve the best outcome? Absolutely. There's going to be a break even point, isn't there? And this is where the nutrient management plans coming back to that point are so important. So understanding what the crop requires, we'll quite often see not the right fertilizers being applied. So it's not that money isn't being spent, but perhaps it's not being spent where it really needs to be. And and there's potential benefits that way. So it isn't always the more expensive option. It's just the more efficient option is what we're looking for. Yeah, I totally agree with Dave. I think the 
kind of inputs still need to be there to reach your potential but we've just got to have a look a bit on kind of the break-even point of where that then isn't kind of a good return on investment by applying it really and that's like Dave says coming back to the nutrient plans we take kind of all this into consideration and look at the best fertilizer to be applying rather than what's been historically applied every year because that might necessarily not be exactly what your crop crop requirement needs. And we know it can be a false economy to cut back as well if it's in the wrong area at the wrong time. You know, we we all know of stories of not enough forage on the farm. And the goal is to produce as much, whether it be milk or meat, from homegrown forage. We understand that to be the most economical way to to grow produce. It's always going to be more economical to grow forage on farm economically than it is to buy in feed at a later date. Yeah, we, we won't name names or values, but you've obviously had a few instances of that this year, Dave, where there have been more costly feed bills because the forage has not been there in the field. And it's what people need to work on. Absolutely. And the one thing we can't control is the weather. And last year, obviously, had a very hot, dry second half of a growing season. If we didn't maximise the growth early on, we really struggled to catch up. We we're fortunate that the autumn gave us a small window, but you're never going to get as much quality forage on the farm as you do from those first applications. And unfortunately, anyone who cut back on the first applications didn't get a chance to catch up last year in a lot of the areas that we work in. And it's, it's, it's understanding, again, the potential of a crop and how to maximise it the most efficiently. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point to reiterate especially with grass like the early spring growth yeah has such large macro demand if you don't put it into it then you're just never going to achieve the potential of that crop there are certain things where you may be able to cut back on but that is one of the things where you just shouldn't no absolutely and and the feed value of that forage is the highest it'll be in the year We learn from experience and one of the experiences that does unfortunately crop up is people that have challenges with their crops. And it's only then when you start investigating and looking back retrospectively, you realise that it wasn't actually a problem with the crop protection or the seed, but it's actually something much sooner than that. Dave, I think you've probably got an example. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're asked to you know, soil sample because a crop has not done what it should do. You know, a grass reseed is patchy. Uh, it's not yielding as it should do. The obvious place to start as always would be the soil sample. We get the results back and we've seen a very low pH and P indices of zeros and ones. That is always going to struggle. You know, the, the chances of getting that to establish and flourish are very slim. And you combine that with the harsh conditions we had last year, say that the hot, dry weather. So if we're going to make that investment in the new seed, then it's really important to understand how we're going to make that reach its potential. It's a real shame that we've done things back to front almost. We've, we bought the seed. I think Ellie would concur. It's always best to work the other way around, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Before you even kind of think about the seed, really, is looking where that seed's going to go in your farm rotation. So looking at your field, looking at kind of what soil it's going into and just doing a soil sample to get a starting point and see where where you're working from, really. Like Dave says, if you don't get that bit right, anything that you put into there isn't going to reach its full potential and thrive. So looking from the start of your pH and your P and K indices, seeing where they're at before the seeds even on farm 
let alone in the in the ground, is where a lot of people do it the wrong way around. They kind of put the seed in and then think, oh, we've got a problem. We'll do a soil sample. But it's kind of getting into that mindset of switching those roles around, really, and doing your soil sample first before you seed drill to get any kinks out of the way and get a decent starting point before drilling, really. Like we say, it's the best possible start it can have. And let's do it from right from the beginning. And that would be true on all crops, wouldn't it? I mean, maize would be another classic example. It's an expensive crop to grow. It's only as good as its weakest link, as we touched on before. So if the weakest link is the nutrition or the pH or the crop protection, etc., um, any one of those factors are going to massively impact on the yield and the return on the investment. I've got a bit of a shameless seed plug that that does tie in because it's to do with what you'd call some total crop management. And the, the two of you touched on it is you've got soil, you've got the species and the variety that you choose, and then the inputs on top of that. It's getting the balance of all three of those. But one thing I've noticed from a seeds plant breeders perspective is We've seen continual developments um, as we get less land to, and we require more to be produced out of it. These species and the varieties that are being bred, they're hungry. They've got massive potential within them, but they do require these inputs being put into them and starting point to be correct. Ellie, as you're on farm, do you see that? And are farmers understanding that requirement? I think definitely kind of coming back to grassland, the difference between a new reseed in its kind of first or second year compared to a 10 year old permanent pasture lay is great that in a sense of the kind of requirements required are so much greater not only with kind of the species that are in there but obviously with the varieties coming through they are hungrier and that's where kind of coming back to a nutrient management plan, we can focus in on different kind of grassland management. So whether that's a four or five cut silage lay or a one cutting grazed seven, eight year old lay, it's kind of tailoring your fertilizer use around your management practices. Obviously, a grazing or permanent pasture one cut grazed grassland lay isn't going to need the same fertilizer requirements as a multi cut one, two year old lay. And I think that's mainly down to obviously your varieties coming through and the mixes that we put together to make sure that you get the quantity and quality that you need on farm, really. And coming back to Dave's point of getting more forage on farm and with the last 18 months with it being so hot and dry there are a few customers that are that are short on forage so it's trying to get make the most out of your lays to make sure we're not in that situation again I think pH and soil ties into that fact of getting those starting points right from the beginning is the way that you're going to reach your potential of your lays that you put in. I've got one last question then that's quite a big one have we seen any changes that are now here to stay long term? Certainly from legislation point of view, the focus is on environmental issues and fertiliser and farming in general is very much being focused on. But for me, again, it ties into the nutrient management plans. It ties into all the efficiencies we're talking about. So it's about being as economical as possible. It, it's not saying we shouldn't use fertiliser. It's just saying we should use it in the most economical way. Makes sense. Sorry, I was a bit short and swift. Um, expand on that, Ellie. Um, 
Um, yeah, I think I completely agree with Dave. Obviously, we've been in the spotlight as agriculture in general, relating around kind of your environmental issues, which I think they're here to stay, really. Um, so it's looking at the best use that you can use and the efficiency of your fertiliser, but also looking at the right product choice as well to tie into that, especially with where the prices have been. There's no point buying the cheapest fertiliser if that's not what you require. So it's looking at and going back to the nutrient management plans, it's looking at kind of tailoring it to your farm, to relating to your soil samples and getting that full picture to get the most out of your fertiliser and also your cropping as well. I think that's the point, isn't it? It's about being efficient. Yeah, and I think it's going away from the historic mindset of, oh, well, my dad's put this on, my grandpa's put this on, so that's what I've always put on. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily work in 80% of the cases. So it's trying to change that mindset of, well, if you do a soil sample and you know, you've got a K index of three, but a P index of zero, yeah. then you don't need to put on 2010-10 no. like you have done for the past kind of 15 yeah. years. You yeah. need to tailor it to something that's yeah. actually what your crop requires rather than kind of, oh, well, we've always put this on, so it must work kind of mindset. And I think your point, Ellie, was really good of how varied even a grass on one farm yeah. is, whether it's the different systems of that field or the age of belay, what's included yeah. in Malay. So you can literally have one field requiring twice the nitrogen input of another yeah. field. But how many farmers vary that much? And do or, that. No. Yeah. Or do they traditionally go, uh, as you said, yeah, well, we've always put on a bag and a half, you know, at each cut or one bag for yeah. grazing, etc. I think historically as well, they've not understood their nutrient requirements where they say, oh, well, for kind of for our silage ground, we've bought, I don't know, an Arctic load of 2010 yeah. 10 per se but actually looking at their nitrogen requirements they actually might need 35 tons so they're at that point they're not putting on enough nitrogen anyway to get the yeah. yield that they should be getting i think that's where the nutrient plans come into their own really because i mean you could even narrow it down to well not actually just your four cut silage ground but you can go really into depth of well per field this is what yeah. you need to put on and going back to your soil analysis and tailoring it kind of to literally individual fields for each management style, whether that is one cut graze, multi-cut, five cut silage ground, that's where they, yeah, they come into their own really of nutrient use and efficiency and buying actually what they need rather than just historically what they've been buying. And it's not unusual if, if a farm is sold sample to see very high PK indices around the farm where a yeah. lot of slurries and manures are applied and fields further away from the farm with low yeah. indices, yet yeah. the same fertiliser regime is being applied across the farm. Yeah, especially with the prices of it, slurry and organic manures have kind of come back into the spotlight of not being a waste, no. of waste product of, oh, well, we just need to empty the lagoon. Yeah. Let's just put it anywhere. It's targeted applications of, well, well, I know historically we've not been over to that field because it's a little bit further, but actually this year we'll make the distance and travel and because I think it will really benefit it. They're seen as, okay, yeah, kind of like a nutrient source now rather than just, yeah, a waste. oh, well, we need to get it out. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just put it anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a brilliant summary of the things which have changed and that are here, here now permanently. <laughs> Perfect. Time's up. And we've covered a huge amount in a short space of time. So thank you both for your thoughts on the topic. 
I think we can all agree there's been a lot to think about when it comes to fertilizer applications. And it's always worth working with your agronomist, people like Ellie, to develop a bespoke plan for your specific business. Thanks for everyone who tuned in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. In the meantime, if you'd like advice on fertilizer, nutrient management plans, or any other agronomy support, please visit Wednesday's website where you can find out more and get in touch with the team. The AgriHub podcast will be back next month and we'll be talking about sustainability in the dairy sector with a focus on milk from forage specifically. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss it. Until then, it's goodbye from the three of us. Goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye.